March the 13th of 2022. March the 13th of 2022. If you are a football fan like me, then you know that that was a day that shocked the world. That was a day that many people were not expecting. That was the day when the greatest quarterback probably to ever play football announced that after only 40 days, he was unretiring. Despite seven Super Bowl championships and numerous league MVPs and Super Bowl MVPs and all-star games and NFL records a few weeks ago, Tom Brady, the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, announced that, that he was unretiring. He said, I'm coming back. He said, quote, I have unfinished business. I'm coming back for my 23rd NFL season. And again, this decision, this, this decision certainly shocked the sports world. It certainly shocked the entire football world. It shocked the entire coaching staff, the fans, the Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans, the players. It, it also shocked me. I mean, since Tom Brady's been playing football, professional football, since I was a junior in high school, I was shocked to learn that he was going to come back for another NFL season. But I'm going to tell you, as shocking as his decision to unretire was to me, it wasn't as shocking as what I read about when I read about in the Bible, the rebel prophet. Now, those of you who are members of this congregation and you've been able to faithfully assemble with the saints for the last couple of months, you know exactly who I'm referring to when I use this language, the rebel prophet. You know by now that when I use this language, the rebel prophet, I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jonah, right? Remember, we've been reading from the book of Jonah together over the past couple of months, and as we've been doing that, we've been learning a lot of shocking things. For example, in chapter 1, we saw God give Jonah a commandment to go and preach to the wicked Assyrian people of Nineveh, and, and, and he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to go and preach to those people. He refused to do that. In fact, he shockingly hopped onto a boat. And he went into the opposite direction of Nineveh instead of going to a place that is probably located in, in modern Iraq today. He actually went in the opposite direction and he traveled to a place that's probably located in modern day Spain. Instead of doing what God told him to do, he tried to run and hide and flee from doing the will of God. But remember, God doesn't let him get away. Remember, God actually caused a storm to pop up on the Mediterranean Sea that was so bad and so boisterous that it caused the sailors to toss him overboard once they realized that God was against him. The sailors tossed him overboard into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and once that took place, he was swallowed by big fish prepared by God. Through a big fish, God shockingly saved Jonah's life and gave him another chance to do his will. And Jonah, to his credit, he's going to take advantage of this second chance. He's going to go. He's going to do God's will. He's going to go. He's going to preach the word of God to the wicked Gentile people of Nineveh. And after he does that, 
The Bible says they shockingly repent. They shockingly are pierced by Jonah's preaching and they turn to the Lord and they are spared the judgment of God. And you would think that Jonah, especially since he had just received the grace of God, he would have been happy about that, right? You would think that he would have celebrated that. You would think that he would have been so joyous over the fact that that thousands and thousands of people turned to the Lord after hearing his preaching. You would think he would have that attitude, but shockingly, he didn't feel that way. He didn't feel that way at all. That's what we see when we get to the last chapter of this book in Jonah Chapter 4, when you go in your Bible to Jonah chapter 4, we're going to be considering as we wrap up this series, the last chapter in the book of Jonah, here in Jonah chapter 4, in the first three verses, we see exactly how Jonah is going to respond to the amazing grace of God that had been extended to the Ninevites after the Bible tells us at the end of Jonah chapter 3 that God relented and decided not to wipe out the Ninevites since they repented of their wickedness. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 1 that this greatly, it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew, notice the language, I knew, Jonah said, that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. A couple of important observations that we need to make from those verses. First, I want you to notice how after God extends his amazing and wonderful grace towards thousands and thousands of people, after God forgives thousands and thousands of people, after God changes his mind about wiping out thousands and thousands of people, Jonah doesn't do like we would do. If one person came forth this morning after this sermon and repented of their sins, and, 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 and that is celebrate that. Jonah doesn't celebrate these people's repentance. He doesn't shout for joy. He doesn't praise God. He doesn't run throughout the city of Nineveh giving everybody a big hug. Instead, verse 1 says that Jonah responds to the grace of God by getting mad. He gets angry. He gets bitter towards God's decision to spare these people. He doesn't like God's decision at all. In fact, he doesn't like this so much that verse 2 says that he prayed about it. He actually prayed to God about this. He actually talked to God about how he doesn't like what happened here. I got to tell you that that's particularly interesting. That's particularly interesting when you stop and consider what Jonah does in Jonah chapter 2. Remember in Jonah chapter 2, we also read about Jonah praying to God on that occasion. We find him in Jonah chapter 2 celebrating the grace of God from inside the belly of the fish, but he doesn't celebrate the grace of God on behalf of the Ninevites. Instead, he celebrates the grace of God on behalf of himself. From inside the belly of the fish, 
Jonah prays to God and he voices to God deep appreciation over the fact that God did not allow him to to drown in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. He expresses deep appreciation over the fact that God prepared this big fish to save his life from inside the fish. He says, he says, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for for forgiving me and showing your mercy towards me. Thank you, God, for preparing this fish to save my life. In Jonah chapter two, Jonah is extremely happy about the grace of God. But here in Jonah chapter four, where Jonah is not happy about the grace of God. He, he is not celebrating the grace of God. He is not thanking God. For sparing the people of Nineveh like God spared him and stayed here in Jonah chapter four. Jonah is telling to telling God that he doesn't like the fact that the people of Nineveh receive the same kind of grace that he received. He doesn't like the fact that God decided to save these people here in Jonah chapter four. Jonah tells God, God, this is why I didn't want to do what you wanted me to do. This is why I didn't want to obey you. This is why I didn't want to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. I knew you were going to do something like this. I knew you were going to save these people. I knew you were going to spare these people. I knew you were going to forgive these people. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. That language that you find in verse two. That language there is very interesting language. It is actually a quotation from the book of Exodus. Jonah's quoting from the book of Exodus here. He's quoting from Exodus chapter 34 and verse number six. If you remember in Exodus 34 and verse number six, Moses in that chapter, after leading the people of Israel out of bondage into Mount Sinai, Moses is able to experience the glory of God. He's able to get a glimpse of God's glory. God passes in front of, of Moses and he tells Moses something very important. He tells him that he is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding and loving kindness and truth. I submit to you, my dear friends, that if there is a verse in the Bible that perfectly describes God and what God is all about is this verse right here. This verse perfectly describes the one true and living God. Notice how contrary to how so many people in our society might feel at times. God is not the boogeyman. God is not the bad guy. God is not the villain. God is not the big bad wolf. He's not the one hiding behind the trees or the bushes waiting for us to mess up so he can pop out and go, ah, you sinned. I knew I was going to get you. I'm ready to send you to hell forever and ever and ever and ever. That's not how the Bible describes God. That's not how the Bible describes the one true and living God. The Bible does not describe God as someone who wants us to be lost or someone who takes pleasure in seeing people lost. The Bible does not describe God as someone who is not on our side and wants us to fail. Instead, the Bible describes God like this. It describes him as compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's how the Bible describes God and God wanted Moses to understand that all the way back in the time of the Exodus 
And he also wants Jonah to understand that here in Jonah chapter four. In fact, Jonah does understand this about God. And that's why he's mad. That's why he's pouting. That's why he has the audacity to try to chew out God. He doesn't like this part of God's nature. In fact, he doesn't like it so much that in verse three, he says he wants to die. He says, God, kill me now. God, take my life. I'd rather be dead than see the Assyrians saved. That's how much hatred. Jonah had for the people of Nineveh. That's how much hatred he had for these people who were not his people. And can you believe that? Can you believe that, that Jonah hates these people so much that he would rather die than see them saved? He, he would rather die than see God be who he's always been and who he has always who he's always going to be. This man, Jonah, this prophet is certainly a rebel prophet who has some serious heart problems. He has some problems going on in his heart. And God's going to deal with these with these problems. God is going to address these problems in his heart head on. And so let's go back to the text. As we go to Jonah chapter four and we look at verse number four and Jonah chapter four and verse four. After Jonah pouts and expresses how he's displeased with the grace of God is being extended to the Ninevites. The Lord said to him, do you have good reason? Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could, until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to be a shade over him to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die. He wants to die again, notice, saying death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than more than 120,000 persons, persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. Let's appreciate a few things that's going on here in this particular text. Notice how, as God observes Jonah pouting over the fact that he doesn't like what he has done to the Ninevites, God asks him a question. God has a question for Jonah. And the question is, do you have good reason to be acting like this right now? Do you have good reason to be angry with me as the one true and living God right now? This word angry that you see in verse number four, this word angry that God uses here is a Hebrew term that can be translated hot. Do you have good reason to be hot with me right now? 
here in Arizona, we know all about what it, what it means to be hot, don't we? If you're new to the valley, if, you don't, if you've never experienced that, hang around for a couple of more months. You're going to see what being hot is all about. When you get to July and, and August, it's going to be so hot that if you walk outside on your driveway, your feet are going to disintegrate. You're going to see very soon what it is like to be hot. And Jonah is hot. He's hot here on this occasion. He's mad. He is hot emotionally, but very soon he's going to be hot physically. He's hot emotionally right now. And then in verse number five, the Bible says that as Jonah continues to pout and be angry with God, he travels east of the city of Nineveh and he constructs a shelter for himself. He constructs a tent of some kind. He sets up shop and he watches from a distance the city of Nineveh. The scripture says he sets up shop and he watches the city of Nineveh. Now, here's a question. What is he watching for? What is he, what is he waiting for? What is, what is he waiting to see is going to happen? Maybe he's waiting to see if God's going to change his mind again. Maybe he's waiting to see if God's going to be like, ah, I made a mistake. I'm going to go ahead and, and wipe these people out. I'm going to go ahead and send fire and brimstone like I did with Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe Jonah is waiting to see if God is going to change his mind or maybe he's waiting to see if the Ninevites are going to change. Maybe he's waiting to see if they're going to return to their old wicked ways so he can rub it in God's face and say, see, God, I told you so. I told you I was right. I told you those people are no good. You should not have spared them. Maybe he's waiting to see if they're going to go back to their old, old ways. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Jonah's waiting to see, but it does tell us that he didn't learn anything from spending time in the belly of that fish. He didn't learn what he was supposed to learn from being inside that fish. He certainly didn't learn the lessons that God wanted him to learn about his grace and his mercy and compassion. And so God says, I'm about to teach you. I'm going to teach you some more. And so beginning in verse number six, God is going to perform another act of grace towards Jonah. God is actually going to going to appoint a plant to grow to. A tremendous size, and that plant is going to give Jonah some relief from the scorching heat. That, that, that plant is going to bless him. It's going to comfort him. It's going to make him, quote, extremely happy, just like God gave Jonah a big fish to deliver him from drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. Now God is going to give him a huge plant to deliver him from the scorching heat. But in keeping with the shocking parts of this book, the very next day, God kills this plant. God actually, he actually causes a worm, appoints a worm to, to attack and destroy the plant. He then calls the sun and the east wind to beat down on Jonah's head. In fact, this heat is so intense and it's so miserable that Jonah says he wanted to die. He said, God, death is better for me than life. He is pretty upset about this plant being destroyed. 
He doesn't like that God has killed this plant. Now, here's the question. The question is, why did God do this? Why did God go through all of this? Why did God bless Jonah with this huge plant to comfort him and provide him shade from the intense heat, but then destroy it the very next day? Why submit that the reason why God did this with this plant is because he wants to teach. He wants to teach Jonah a lesson. He wants to teach Jonah another important lesson about his grace and his love and his compassion. He wants to teach Jonah about the things that matter to him the most. He wants Jonah to understand that while he created all things, while he created all things and he loves all things and he cares about all things above anything else, he loves and he cares about people. He loves and he cares about human beings. He loves and he cares first and foremost about men and women because men and women have, they have souls. They have eternal souls. They were created in the very image of God. Nothing else on this planet is created in the image of God outside of men and women. God loves human beings who have eternity within them. And if Jonah was going to be mad and upset and pout over the fact that God destroyed a plant, something that doesn't have an eternal soul, shouldn't God be more concerned about those who do have eternal souls? Shouldn't God be more concerned about people? Shouldn't God be more concerned about those 120,000 people who lived in the city of Nineveh? In fact, here's an interesting passage for us to consider back in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 11. Notice again what God says to Jonah as he tries to bring this lesson home for him. He says, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? If you're going to be upset about a plant, if you're going to be compassionate towards a plant, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals? I want you to pay close attention to this language. Notice this language of more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand. Now, that language there has given scholars a lot of trouble in trying to figure out what that means. Some suggest that this could be a reference to those who are not of an age of accountability. The little children, the babies, the toddlers, the infants, they, that, that certainly would describe them. They don't know the difference between their right and their left hand. Now, that's a good thought there, but others suggest that this could be this could be figuratively being used here to refer to the Ninevites. It could be language used to refer to the fact that when compared to the Jews, when compared to the people of Israel, God's people under the old covenant, the Ninevites knew as much about God as little children. In other words, they hardly knew anything about God. They hardly knew anything about his nature and his character and what it took to repent. They certainly did not have God's law and his statutes and his ordinances like the Jews did for hundreds and hundreds of years up to this point. Look, regardless of what view you hold when it comes to the language of this text, 
The point remains the same. The point is God cares about people. God loves people more than he loves plants. In fact, not only does God love and care about people, not only does he have compassion towards people, but you know what else he has compassion towards? He has compassion towards the animals. You see that? The creatures, the beasts. While animals don't have eternal souls like human beings have eternal souls, God says they also didn't deserve to be wiped out. He said they also did not deserve to be destroyed. They also, according to God, they needed some grace too. They needed some compassion. God says, I care about, I care about the, the creatures. I care about them too, even though Jonah, all you seem to care about is a plant. Now that's how the book of Jonah concludes. And that's an interesting conclusion. And I think that that last chapter challenges us today as Christians. I think it challenges us in some powerful ways. In fact, I want to close by giving you three ways in which I think this last chapter in this book challenges us. First, I think this last chapter in the book of Jonah challenges us to ask ourselves, how do we see God? How do you see God? How do I see God? How do we see God? Do we see God like Jonah saw God? Do we see God as someone who should only show grace to us? Or only save us? Or only save people who are like us? Do we see God as someone who should only save the wealthy or the middle class people? Do we see God as someone who should only save Republicans? Or Democrats, or people who live in red states, or people who live in blue states, or maybe God should just save the people who live in America. This is how Jonah viewed God. Jonah saw God as someone who should only extend his grace to him or people like him, people from the people of Israel. He didn't see God as someone who should extend his grace to everyone, to every person. He certainly didn't want God to extend his grace to the people of Nineveh. Jonah wanted God to be very limited when it came to his grace, but by destroying this big plant, God had to let him know something. God had to let him know emphatically that he is God, he is the creator, and he loves all people, and he has the right to extend his grace to as many people as he desires. He has a right to extend his grace to all people. As a feeble human being, Jonah had no right to be upset with God. He had no right to pout towards God or try to chew God out. He had no right to try to use God as some sort of genie or in a bottle or to try to bend God to do his will. No, Jonah, as a feeble human being, just needed to understand that God is God and he is not God. And God had a right to show grace to the people of Nineveh, just like he has shown grace to him and just like he has shown grace to us through his son, Jesus Christ. The last chapter of Jonah challenges us to ask ourselves, how do we see the God of the Bible? And then secondly, it challenges us to ask ourselves, how do we see the lost? How do we see the lost that are around us? 
every single day do we see the loss around us as people that we really just don't like and they need to be lost or they at least need to try to figure out themselves how to be saved or do we see them and view them like Jonah should have viewed the people of Nineveh and that is that is as people who need our help. People who need our compassion and our grace and our attention and even our love. I know this is a common passage for you in Matthew, but I think it's appropriate to read right now. Remember before our Lord Jesus Christ went to heaven to be with his father, to sit at the right hand of God in Matthew 28 in verse number 19. I know you're familiar with the verse, but I, but I want to read it, please. In Matthew 28 in verse number 19, Jesus told his people, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Notice all the nations, not just Jews, all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Notice how when it comes to saving people today, when it comes to rescuing people who are drowning in the sea of sin, unlike what you find in the book of Jonah, God's not, God's not sending out big fish today. He's not preparing big fish. He's not preparing whales or sharks or whatever kind of other fish you think that might be that, that, that saved Jonah in the Mediterranean Sea. God is not sending out fish to rescue lost people today. Instead, he's sending out Christians. He's sending out disciples. He's sending out messengers of the gospel. You see, like in the book of Jonah, the Ninevites. Like we see in the book of Jonah, the Ninevites were not going to be saved without hearing God's message preached by one of his messengers, and neither will your co-worker be saved. Neither will your classmate or your neighbor or the banker or the teller at Fry's. None of these people are going to be saved without hearing from a messenger of God. From the last chapter in Jonah, we are challenged to ask ourselves, how do we see God? How do we see his grace? How do we see the lost? Do we see them in the way God sees them? Do we see them as people who are loved by God and valued by God? And they need us as God's people to be messengers to them, just like Jonah was a messenger to the people of Nineveh. And then we come to a final question we need to consider, and that is, how do we see Jesus? Oh, yes, the book of Jonah forces us to ask ourselves, how do we see Jesus? Someone says, well, where are you getting that from? Well, I'm getting that from what Jesus says in Matthew, the 12th chapter. I'm going to go to one more place in your Bible. Then we're going to get ready to wrap this up, Brother Greg. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, please. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, and in verse number 38. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, and in verse number 38, the Bible says this. It says, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want a sign from you. We want to see a miracle from you, even though Jesus has already done a bunch of miracles at this time. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights and the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up, with, stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So notice how here in his ministry, Jesus brought up Jonah. He preached about Jonah. He not only verifies the historicity of the book of Jonah, 
but he also says he's greater than Jonah. I'm going to tell you, that's an interesting thing that Jesus says there because there are a lot of similarities between Jesus and Jonah. For example, both of them were prophets. But both of them were spokesmen for God. Both of them preached messages of repentance. Both of them were inside of something for three days. Jonah was inside the belly of the fish for three days. Jesus was in Hades. He was in the grave for three days. They have a lot of similarities, but they also have a lot of key differences. For example, Jonah preached to the Ninevites. And Jesus preached to the people of Israel. The people who heard Jonah's preaching, they were willing to repent. But when Jesus preached to people, well, he preached to a bunch of hard-hearted people who did not want to repent. They did not want to submit to the will of God. When people, the people who heard Jonah's preaching, when they repented, they were spared God's judgment. Well, Jonah didn't like that. Jonah didn't want the people he preached to to be saved but Jesus wants all people to be saved. Jesus wants all people to experience blessing from God. And then the key difference, the key difference between Jonah and Jesus has to do with their identity, their identity. While Jonah is a prophet of God, Jesus is, he's the prophet of God. He wasn't just a prophet, but he is the prophet. He is the Savior. He is God in the flesh. He is greater. He's greater than Jonah. He's much greater than Jonah. In fact, that is exactly what makes the scribes and Pharisees' rejection of him so bad. You see, unlike the people of Nineveh who accepted God's grace and obeyed the preaching of Jonah, the scribes and the Pharisees rejected God's grace and they refused to obey the perfect preaching of Jesus. They rejected the perfect preaching of God's son. The question is, what are you going to do right now? How are you going to respond to God's grace? How are you going to respond to God's son's preaching? You know, it is interesting how the book of Jonah doesn't tell us what happened to Jonah. Did you notice that? We don't know what happened to Jonah. We don't know how he responded to what God told him about his grace and his love and his compassion. We don't know what happened to this rebel prophet, but we do know what happened with God's son. We do know that he died on a cross and he was buried in a tomb. And three days later, he came out of that tomb and has been exalted to the right hand of God. We do know that he is alive. In heaven today, and he is the only way to heaven. And if there's someone here this morning who needs to, re to come to the one and repent to the one who is greater than Jonah, then you have an opportunity to do that this morning. Whether that means you need to respond to the gospel for the first time through faith and repentance and baptism, or if you need to get the prayers of your brethren because you have strayed away from the family of God. Whatever your spiritual need may be this morning, we're going to invite you to come right now as we stand and we sing. Hark the gentle voice of Jesus falleth tenderly upon your ear. Sweet this cry of love and pity calleth, turn and listen, stay and hear. Ye that labor and are heavy laden, 
Missed our classes.